Wasn't God's presence rich today? Just amazing, amazing, amazing. I, I really feel the Lord is coming to us in a rich way today. How many of you believe that God wants to open our eyes and our hearts to things that we can't even imagine? You know, the Bible is very clear where it says that our eyes have not seen, ears heard, nor even entered into the heart of, of man the things that God hath prepared for them that love him. God is really good. And I, I want to, I've said this before, but God's even in a great mood. Amen? He's always in a great mood. God is not ever in a bad mood. He's not, he's not threatened by the affairs of men or the global market or the things down here. He's, he's not biting his fingernails. He's not, uh, he's not even upset with the devil because uh, the devil is no match. How many of you know that the devil and God are not even on the same uh, uh, equal plane there? God is completely in control. He's completely in charge. And he wants us to realize that if you are in Christ, you are also seated with him in heavenly places. Amen? And you know, when Jesus came, and Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom was, first of all, to reveal how awesome our king is. And it was to introduce us to a new kind of government and lifestyle. God's intent was not just to bring forgiveness, die on the cross, deliver us from sin, but he was to introduce to us a way of life and a way of life here on earth that would make such a difference that Jesus even said that you, you and I would be called salt and light of the earth. And he intended for your light to so shine. In fact, listen to this. Jesus has even limited himself to you in how you respond to what his word says. Do you know that? God, God could come down, obviously, and do everything by himself. He doesn't need us, but he has so chosen the church. And I'm not talking about a denomination or a building, but God has chosen people like you. Even with all of our weaknesses and our frailty, God has chosen people like you to bring a demonstration of his life in his glory to the earth through you. And uh, one of the things that we're, we're doing in, in speaking and bringing the gospel message, the gospel message is a gospel of honor. Everyone say honor. You see, God is highly honored when you reflect that honor. And some other ways that God reflects that honor is when you are prospering. God wants you to prosper. And I, it's, by the way, prospering is so much bigger than money. When we, a lot of people just connect prosperity with money. It's, it's bigger than money. Huge. It's so much higher than money. M money isn't just, we, we think of prosperity money. Yes, I do believe God wants us to prosper. Uh, I remember one time there was a brother, and I was talking about tithing some time ago, and a long time ago, actually, and and I remember, I said, you know, Pastor, I, I don't know why I need to worry about prosperity because, you know, I have a great job and I, uh, my bills are being paid. I live in a nice house. I don't need to prosper. 
And I said, well, let me ask you this. Are you able to prosper where you're able to help people in China? Are you able to prosper in such a way where you can give the kingdom to begin to send missionaries and the gospel and the message and send money around the world? Because that's, that is the avenue God has chosen. And, and he says, well, I never thought about that. I said, do you know that God wants you to prosper so that you can in turn give so the kingdom of God and the honor of that kingdom can, can extend? See, God is not blessed by poverty. He's not blessed by people who think impoverished thoughts. He's not honored when we think we are weak. He's not honored when we think that we are limited by our lack of ability or our inability to talk or our inability. He's not honored that way, is he? But he's honored when people have faith. When people begin to visualize and envision themselves as being filled and baptized with the Holy Spirit. And there's a presence on you. There's a presence around you. And when you speak, people are attracted to you because there's an element of that supernatural faith and life and vision that you bring life to people. And you empower people. And you're, you're, not, you're not small. You're not limited. You're not a weak individual. You are not a victim. You're not a hostage to your past. You are a large, wide, you are a person that God comes to inhabit and to fill you with his greatness. You see, that, that's how God is honored, amen? And so I, I want to talk just a few minutes about, about the importance of, of understanding where he has seated us. And I want you to jump with me into Colossians chapter 2, uh, or I'm sorry, Colossians chapter 3. In fact, this, is, this isn't even my text this morning. I, I was in prayer uh, this morning, and I was just... By the way, i, I got to tell you something. Just a, My wife and I are in a major remodel project in our house right now. I am redoing our bathroom. Our master bathroom, and our, my wife and I, we're not even sleeping in our bedroom. We're in a secondary bathroom right now. Uh, I've just discovered dry rot and bug rot and water damage in our two front bedroom windows. How many have ever been surprised when you dig deep? Ever, have, have anybody, has anybody here ever gone on a remodel project. James, I'm, uh, James is a, a builder, a contractor, and I know some of you guys that may, You know, you just start, you start like this. Because <clears throat> Carol and I were talking, let's, let's replace the carpet. Let, let's just get rid of this carpet. You know, this is going to be a half a day job. You know, just rip the carpet out, get some new carpet, put in there. And when I tore the carpet out and lifted the pad, I noticed over by our two of our windows, rot. Water had been coming in the windows, and the plates and the studs and the cripples and the headers were just mush. I mean, by the way, this is the infrastructure of the house. If you don't know what a stud is, it's the two-by-fours in the walls. It was mush. And so, I mean, I literally put my hands in there and squeezed it and just... Just gunky, gunky, sawdusty uh, mush. And I said, Carol, we got a problem. And, I, and this is the way I think. Now, as a builder, I've been a builder for years. 
I was thinking I could just put sheetrock. Actually, this well, I hate to even say it, but my because my wife, my wife didn't. She wasn't there when I uncovered the rat's nest, but when I opened the thing up, I thought about this. I could cut corners. I could just put sheetrock over this and hold it together with sheetrock and put some trim around there and just leave it the way it is and splash some paint on it. It'll be all done. She'll never know. And I will know. And, and well, then what I did, I, I thought, I, because the sheetrock that's next, by the way, it's next to our, our bed. And so I pushed my knee. Just, I just wanted to push my knee on the sheetrock that was there. Not hardly any pressure. And my knee completely pushed right through the, the, the sheetrock, which was, by the way, if you've ever seen sheetrock that's wet, it's gypsum that's just mush. And I knew that paint was not going to hold this wall together. So what, one thing led to another, and I realized that if I'm going to deal and make the thing healthy and strong, you got to get down to the infrastructure. you got to go right into the studs. And I, I've, the past couple days, not even, was never planning on this, but we had to move all of our furniture out of our master bedroom. We're sleeping in this little secondary bedroom. I said, Carol, God forbid we'd ever put anybody in this little bedroom. You know, it's amazing. You, by the way, folks, if you have a home, try sleeping in the bedrooms that you put people in. You may change your mind about it. I realized that in the past 24 years that I've lived in this house, I've never slept in this room. And I feel so bad that I've ever put anybody in there, to tell you the truth. <laughs> it was just a mistake. But, but the reason is, I guess, you know, of course, we've graduated from a double to a queen to a king-sized bed now, and we're... we're uh, I don't know if it's because we got larger over the years. I don't know what the deal is, but uh, going back to a small bedroom. But in this remodel project, it's been a real eye-opening experience. And uh, just dealing with things, making sure things are built right. I, I don't know about you, but I, when I build, I like to build things that will last. Uh, I think God has the same thing in mind. But also, God's interested in his glory being revealed in your life. And if there's something that's rotten, if something is not right in your life, you know, we serve a God that will not just overlook it. He, he will not whitewash. He will not come and just let you paint over it and just put a whitewash over it. He loves you so much, He will not let you get away with rotten living, rotten thinking, he loves you so much that he wants you pure from the inside out. Amen? He doesn't like people that have a form or a facade. He wants his glory to be on the inside. Because that's really where the peace, that's really where life is lived. It's, it's not lived on the outside. It's, it's lived on the inside. If there's no peace, joy, and righteousness on the inside, then what you're doing is you have to live with the facade on the outside. And you, you live with a religious facade, and, and you might appear successful, you might appear even happy. You might be fooling people, but in, but in reality, there is really no peace, and there's no life. And, and I want to just 
talk a few minutes about what Paul says here, because when Jesus came and he preached the gospel of the kingdom, it was a gospel of honor. It was a gospel of power. Everyone said power. It was a gospel of life. He never intended for the church to be just some kind of a religious gathering where people just sing their three little hymns and the preacher preaches his little poetic message and three points and go home. No, he intended that you and I are transformed. You and I are empowered. See, when I look back at my life, back in the year 2014, 2015, I ask myself the question, is Ray Galligan progressively shining more and more? Am I growing in the Lord? Is Jesus being formed in my life more and more? Is my, is my marriage growing that way? Is my, is my children growing that way? Or am I standing still, or am I growing weaker and weaker? It's a really important question. How many of you believe it's important to get a prognosis on how your growth is? Amen? I'm not suggesting that we just examine ourselves for the sake of condemning ourselves, but it is important to know, am I on the path? Am I growing? Am I, am I really growing in that area, my relationship? Am I growing as far as my, my, the, the thing that God expects of me to have? And that's what I want to look at in a few things. But notice what the Apostle Paul's commendation here to the church at Colossia. He says this, if then you have been raised with Christ, and of course, if you've been baptized into his death, you've been raised, and that word raised means to be resurrected. If you've been raised with Christ, seek those things which are where? Everyone say above. Where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. He's not talking about people that have gone on to be with the Lord. He's talking about people right now. If you've been risen risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting. Now, sitting is a place of rest. But it's also a place of honor where Christ sits. It's also, he's a sitting king. A sitting king is a reigning king. He reigns and he rules over his enemies. But he's also at a place of rest. In the Bible, Paul says we are to seek those things which are above. Well, let's let's look at some of those things. Jump over with me to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. What does that mean? It says this in Ephesians 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God of our Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us. Everyone say, blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to the adoption as sons. Can you say amen to that? We are no longer slaves to sin. I'm not a slave to habits. I'm not a slave to my past. I have been predestined, I have been chosen, I have been called, I have been blessed. And notice when Paul says we've been blessed in heavenly places, because he wants our focus on heaven. Everyone say heaven. We've been seated with Christ 
in heavenly places. Now, the Bible says we have been blessed. Now, you may say, well, pastor, if I'm, if I'm supposed to be blessed, how come I don't seem to be very blessed? How come things don't seem to be going very well, actually, in my life at all? Well, here's a really important thought. <clears throat> is that the blessing of the Lord is not determined by just how things are going in your life right here and the now. In fact, just like this brother uh, Hosea that I was referring to earlier of this pastor, the Lord actually called him while he was in solitary confinement in prison. Uh, he was a preacher, evangelist, but he called him to be a pastor in 22 years, literally 22 years of his life in solitary confinement. Many of his family members, but in that, many of those men in, in Fidel's prison down there, many of them would commit suicide, and they wouldn't stop it. They, they, it, they could care less that way. They didn't have to feed him, take care of him. They would commit suicide. They would go mad. They'd go crazy in those places. But he says, the Lord preserved me because the Lord began to deal with me and open my heart and my mind to understanding what it really was. Even though he was in that confined place of darkness for 22 years, only coming out for a few times during the week, he said, the Lord preserved me with his presence. In fact, he said some of the most glorious times in his life was in solitary confinement because it was like the Lord took him out of that place, even though he was there physically, the Lord lifted him and began to open his eyes. How many of you know God can come to you even in the worst of places and to begin to reveal heaven and reveal his glory to you no matter where you're at? But it's because you need to know who you are and where you are positionally in Christ. Now, here it says this, I've been blessed. Everyone say blessed. See, I have to understand that Faith. Faith means that I walk by faith, not by sight. I'm, I, may be in a, I may be in a place that I don't like. I might even be in a place that is very difficult at this time. But see, God intended that the place that you're at, where you're at, it might be like Daniel in the lion's den. You might be David, who's feeding the sheep and forgotten by his father when Jesse has the prophet Samuel come. You, you might have gone through a different array of situations. God intends to reveal himself in the worst of places. God loves to do that. He loves to reveal his glory and bring light in the darkest of places. But what he's looking for, and listen to me, he's looking for someone on earth to come into agreement with his word. Coming into agreement with his word, when you begin to say, you know, I'm in a dark place right now, I'm not prospering right now, but God says I am blessed. God says that I'm chosen. God says that he loves me. God says he has predestined great things for me. Now, how many of you know, in order for me to recognize these things and to begin to bring the realm of the invisible into the visible. How many of you know that's what Jesus did? Jesus brought the realm of the Father's provision in the wilderness one day. There were 5,000 men, probably 20,000 people total. They're in the wilderness. There's no bread. The disciples' answer to the problem was, send them away. Jesus said, don't send them away. In the middle of a problem, 
In the middle where there was lack, Jesus embodied the mind of the Father. He embodied that concept of heavenly places. And wherever he went, Jesus said, he turns to Philip and he turns to the disciples. And he says, don't send them away. You, you feed them. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, God's talking about you. Amen. God's calling us to call those things that are not as though they are. And it's in that place, Jesus says, I want you to recognize heaven's opportunity when hell is knocking on your door. He's calling us to recognize heaven. Folks, do you know that this is really the heart of the gospel? The heart of the gospel, by the way, is just, we've really limited what the gospel is in the past. We thought that the gospel is just, Jesus, save me from the devil, save me from my sins, get my name in the book of life so I can get out of this planet and get into heaven. That is not the gospel. That was not what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to baptize you with the Holy Ghost with fire and with life and with honor and with power. And when the devil and the world throws its hell at you, you are going to shine the brightest when all hell comes against you. You might have been forgotten, left in a prison dungeon, but even out of that prison, God intends for your light to so shine that even the prison guards take notice and actually begin to recognize there's something supernatural about this guy. There's something that we can't put his lights out, we can't put his joy out, we can't take his freedom. There's something about this guy that keeps bouncing back. Because of something that is working inside of us. Can you say amen? This is what heaven, being seated with Christ in heavenly places, is all about. And the Apostle Paul here says that he's chosen us, he's predestinated us, he's redeemed us through the blood, he's revealed the mystery of his will, that we, verse 11, should be called, the, uh, uh, that we should be uh, 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 that we should become the praises of his glory in verse 12, who trusted in Christ to become the praises of his glory. Well, what is the praise of his glory? The praise of his glory happens like this. is when you are in a situation and people watch you and they see something different about you and they see the glory of God on you. By the way, God's glory is not difficult to be seen on someone who is excelling and just succeeding. Well, we, we love prosperity. I don't know about you, but I love prosperity. I love to prosper. I love, I, I love that environment. Uh, but, but I'm also recognizing that in the Apostle Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, to the Colossians, to the church at Philippi, who underwent some horrible persecution, we find that in those situations, they were encouraging these persecuted Christians. And because it, 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 this is why the Apostle Paul made statements that were literally outlandish to the natural, rational mind. He said this, I will glory in the things that concern my weaknesses. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. So that, that kind of a statement in the beginning literally was a contradiction to reason didn't make sense. How can you glory in weakness? How can you rejoice when all hell's coming against you, when things are falling apart? How do you, how do, you do that? Well, I want, I want to take you over to a very important scripture 
Uh, actually, jump over with me to chapter 2 in Ephesians, because this is part of that heavenly place. Notice here he says this. We were dead in the trespasses of sins, living according to the course of this world, under the prince of the power of the air. That's what we were like before Jesus came into our life. Verse 4, but God, who is rich in mercy, with his great love, he loved us when he raised us from the dead, made us alive, and raised us up together, made us sit together, everyone say together, together in Christ, in heavenly places, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are as workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared for them, that we should walk in them. So here he's saying here is that we've been raised, we've been seated, and what that term there is, is a term being glorified. Everyone say glorified. The Bible says, for whom he justified, he glorified. We're not waiting to be glorified. Jesus has glorified his son in you right now. Now, the Holy Spirit, when you were baptized in the Holy Spirit, it's more than just speaking in tongues, by the way. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is that agent of the Godhead <clears throat> that facilitates and works in cooperation with your faith and your will. When he finds someone that says, Holy Spirit, I will agree with you. What happens is, that gives him opportunity for the glory of the Father, the glory of the Son, all of that, the resurrection power of Jesus to just manifest itself in powerful ways, whether it comes into wisdom, whether it comes into speaking to mountains that need to be moved, whether you're talking about rivers that need to be crossed, whether you're dealing with sickness, whether you're dealing with issues, there's something about God being glorified when you're standing at that Red Sea and you begin to extend the rod, amen, of your faith and you say, Father, I trust you that I'm going to cross this thing. And there's times, I know there's times where God answers immediately and then there's other times where there's that sense of delay. I want to just tell you right now that anytime you ever walk through something and there's a delayed answer or maybe there's times where you don't see immediate results, I want you to understand something. Is that it's not God, it's not that God doesn't answer prayer, and it's not that God is putting anything off. It's that God is actually preparing you for something that is very great, very powerful. And I, I want you to understand that I, I love the story of Mary and Martha on the death of their brother Lazarus. When, when, when Mary and Martha had the faith that Jesus could heal their brother, but Jesus delayed his coming because Jesus plan was to do something far greater than just manifest his healing power. He wanted Lazarus to die, and he let him die. There's times where God actually lets a dream die. He will allow you to walk through the process where you might even suffer grief. And it's not because he delights in it. It's that he wants to open your eyes to what he can do even when you didn't believe he could do it. He knew, he, Mary and Martha knew that Jesus could heal. That's why they had faith. In fact, I honestly believe that Mary and Martha were far sharper young ladies 
than the 12 disciple counterparts. This is my opinion. And, and I, I honestly believe that because Jesus dealt with them in such a way that their faith was actually, in my opinion, far more challenged than he did with the rest of the 12 guys. I'm not saying, I'm not trying to make a sexist statement here, so please don't take it that way. But I think it was interesting that Mary and Martha, and it had nothing to do with a lack of respect. He loved those women. The Bible tells us that he loved them. He cared about them. But their, their ability to hear and to believe and perceive things was much sharper than the disciples, in my opinion, just in the study of the disciples with the, with the, the women that were also following Jesus at the time. But here Jesus delays the coming. And when he delays the coming, not only did Lazarus die, but they buried him and he was in the tomb for four days and he's decaying. He's dying. And Jesus says, let's now go and raise this guy from the dead. And they buried him, the stone's over the tomb, and it's a very bleak, it's a very dark hour, the grief has set in, but Jesus says, I want you to believe me. I want you to trust me. In her, what Jesus is doing, Jesus is carrying, Jesus is carrying heaven. Jesus embodied heaven. Jesus embodied the power, the glory, the love of the Father. Amen? And what he's doing is he's trying to help lift the vision of these grieving, hurting women, and he wants to display. He wants them to see that in your darkest Hour, when you're walking through some very deep, grievous times, I want you to know that I am the resurrection of the, of the dead. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. God wants to do that for us in the here and now. Amen? And we, we need to trust him for that. But here's what happens. <clears throat> we find here that Jesus, or the Apostle Paul makes it clear, that he, because of his rich mercy and great love, He's raised us and made us alive. And that's just not that we're alive breathing. It means that we are now alive and there's a sensitivity. It means that we are now in tune with the kind of eternal life. It is the kind of abundant life. It is that life that now begins to, like an effervescent artesian well inside of us that Jesus spoke about to the, the, the Samaritan woman that will be in him a well that is bubbling up. It's the kind of life that begins to spark passion, spark vision. Amen. For instance, when God begins to touch the imagination, it begins to touch your dream, it begins to begin to help you think outside of your box. Amen. And God wants you to begin to say, you know what? In the past, I was a weak I was kind of a shy kind of a guy. I've not been the kind of an individual that, uh, that has expressed myself in certain ways. Maybe you've put yourself under limitations. Maybe others have put limitations on you. But when the Holy Spirit fills you, you begin to move from a natural thinking man to a supernatural thinking man and woman. You begin to... The word yes is a real big part of your vocabulary. When people ask you, can you help me? Yes, I can. Do you think you can help pray for this problem? Yes, I can. Do you have an answer to this problem? Yes, I do. Everyone say yes. See, part of living in heaven is a person who possesses the yes, I can do all things kind of communication, amen? 
says, out of the mouth proceeds the things that are in the heart. You know, t today there's a lot of people claiming to be born again, claiming to be saved, and, and, and yes, we're saved by faith, but, but part of our salvation and part of our faith is expressed through our confession. And it's not only through our confession, but it's through our conduct, it's through our life. And so many times, even in my own marriage with my wife and I, for instance, even on this recent remodel project, you know, and I said, you know, I came into my wife, I came to my wife Carol, and I said, Carol, I, I got a problem. I know our problem was confined to the to, to, for the bathroom, just to remodel the bathroom. But I said, we got a problem, and she says, Ray, I thought we're not saying we have problems anymore. Wait, well, you're, you're right, honey. I, 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 you're right. I'm not trying to confess unbelief here, but she says, what do you mean we have a problem? Well, I think we need some new windows and new infrastructure around. We've got dry rot, we've got mush, we've got some serious problems in our front two windows. And she says, deal with it. Let's, let's deal with it, Ray. I mean, it says, and, and this is what I said, but, but we had a budget, honey. Yeah, but we've got a problem, too. Well, you're right, okay, we, we've got a problem. My wife loves to make me practice what I preach. <laughs> and so I'd say, yes, amen. That's right. Now, I, I, I want to tell you, folks, I wasn't really thinking about the message. I wasn't thinking about what I'm preaching. I'm just thinking, you know, I'm focused on a bathroom problem, but I got a bedroom problem, and I got a rot problem, and I didn't feel we had the finances set aside for it. And we don't. So we went out and borrowed some money, <laughs> which is the truth, by the way, because it, it got bigger. But here's the point, and I'm not suggesting that anybody just runs off and jumps off a cliff and go out and borrow because you need to do it. But I do believe that my wife and I, we prayed, we consulted, we talked to each other, we prayed about it, and we felt the, the need to move forward in this. But here's, here's the important thing. We need to realize that when we are confronted with problems and we're facing issues, that being seated with Christ in heavenly places means this, is that you are not limited. And you are not in a place where your heavenly Father is just absent-minded and absent from your problem. He actually wants you to call on his name and pray. He actually wants you to expect the unexpected. He actually wants you to think big. You know, I, I remember as I was tearing the window out the other day, and by the way, if you came and drove by our front yard, you'd see this massive pile of garbage in our front yard. Hopefully, Garland will pick it up on Tuesday morning. I'm really praying for that one, too. But uh, just this massive pile of dry rot and garbage and all of this. And, and, and as I was uh, tearing this stuff out, the Holy Spirit is speaking to me. By the way, do you know the Holy Spirit can speak to you when you're doing a remodel project? You don't have to be in church, a pre-service prayer. You don't have to be in a three-day fasting and prayer. Time. The Holy Spirit can speak to you when insulation is falling on your face. The Holy Spirit can speak to you when you just punched a nail through your finger. The Holy Spirit, do you know that he, he wants to talk to you in those times? And I remember I was pulling some insulation out of the wall, getting that mushy dry rot, and, and, and the, Lord, the Lord began to speak to me. I wasn't thinking about the Lord. I was thinking about pulling nails out, getting this stuff out, and moving all this debris and all this. The Holy Spirit just drops this bomb. He says, Ray, I want you to believe me. 
I want you to know that I'm going to help you get this thing together. I'm going to give you the wisdom. I'm going to help you save money. You know something that's so powerful. With Carol and the Lord working together on this thing, we're already saving monies. We've got some great deals, some great prices, and some other things coming up, some coupons. Do you know the Lord works that way? It's not an accident. You may say, well, no, Pastor, right? you just get a newspaper, you look for the coupons, it just so happens that they're running a coupon and you're saving money. I don't live life like that. I believe God helps you to save money. I believe God, let me tell you something else, God will even help you get a good parking spot. You know, I had a lot of weight to get into my pickup, and I remember going over to Lowell's, and I said, Father, I would really like a parking spot. Because what I had to carry out to my truck was heavy. I am by myself. By the way, I'm no young guy anymore. And, and I remember I'm driving into this place. It's packed out Saturday. And you know Saturday at Home Depot's and Lowe's packed out. I'm driving right in the front and right next to the, not the very front, but the next one, a woman pulls out and I pull right in. And I remember probably not more than 60 seconds, I'm saying, Father, would you please give me a parking spot close to the front because i got to get this lumber and all this. I'm not kidding. God cares about little things like that. And some of us think, well, no, God, God's only interested in man in just curing cancer. Or, no, God's interested when I need a promotion on my job. Or God's interested... And my prayer is when I'm having a really major problem in my marriage or something like that or the next president or whatever. No, God's interested in actually helping you find a parking spot. Now you may think, oh, Pastor Ray, why would God waste his time on you getting a parking spot? Probably you actually needed to walk anyway. No. You see, maybe I did need to walk. But you know what? God still... <coughs> answers prayer. I mean, you can go back into the life of Peter. Peter had a bad day fishing. You could say Peter needed to learn perseverance and patience. But yet Jesus gets into his boat and gives him an overflowing, bountiful supply, boat-sinking, faith-working miracle, even where he has to call his brothers in to come out and catch all these fish. The Bible says the boats were literally sinking, nets were breaking, and God is moving. God's answering prayer. And keep in mind, this is a fisherman and here's the, here's the interesting rationale behind it, because I think this is really where faith kicks in here. This is a fisherman, and most men will get this. Here's a fisherman taking advice from a carpenter. Now, how many of you guys out there that have any particular profession would ever take advice from someone who is not in your field? What I'm saying is that part, sometimes we need to have the kind of faith that's open for God to use anybody he wants to use and to say anything he wants to say. But Peter, I believe, was in a place where he was desperate. He was ready for God to speak, for God to move. Heavenly places. Being in heavenly places. It's not simply just being heavenly minded and being in the presence of God. Being in heavenly places is me walking with the confidence, walking with the reality that I'm rightly related with my Heavenly Father. That I can ask whatsoever I need and He will answer. That's heavenly places, but Heavenly places might be that I'm going through a difficult situation, but being seated in heavenly places with Christ. 
means that he has anointed, called. He has empowered me. By the way, just this week, I went up to see a, a good friend of ours, and I've already mentioned this to you, Brother Bo Jarnigan. He's up in Hunt County Jail. He's sitting there. He's waiting to be sentenced in July. Uh, again, what I'm saying here is something he's actually asked us to share by way of testimony, which I've told, which I want to not get into it again. But, but he's, he's sitting there with 63 other individuals that because of a huge FBI sting operation, it was, it was the biggest North Texas drug bust uh, late September of last year, and he was caught into that situation. He used to attend New Life Fellowship. He walked away from the Lord. And he says, Pastor Ray, says the, 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 he said this. This was his words. He says, my problem wasn't getting into drugs. He says, the Lord delivered me from that years ago. He says, my problem was is I, got, I took my wife and my kids out of the house of God. And when we stopped going to the house of God and we stopped getting into his presence, he said, we started drifting. We started drifting spiritually. Our focus was wrong. We started compromising. We started open doors. We started going to places that Christians shouldn't be going to. We just dropped the, our convictions. Our, we just begin to live a convenient lifestyle, doing what I want to do when I want to do it. I didn't need God. I don't need the fear of God. And he says, all of a sudden, these friends start showing up of my old buddies from years ago in the drug industry. And then I thought you know, I was going through a difficult time financially. I got connected and all that. Anyway, he's, he got arrested. And we've been in contact with him. And the, the message that we're giving Bo right now is a message of hope. I do want you to know that Bo is forgiven and Bo has repented. But he's in jail right now, waiting to be sentenced. He's, he's looking at 12 to 20 years, uh, is what they've said. But I saw Bo this week, and when I was up there, and Bo said, you know, Ray, when I think about the fact that my kids are all going to be adults when I finally get out of this jail, he's in his late 40s right now, and he's looking at 12 to, to 20 years. He doesn't know what, what it's going to be because it's a federal offense uh, and all of that. And he was telling me, as we're talking through the glass, he says, I am, I'm, here's another guy, he's in jail here, but he says, I'm just, I, I, I just, I just want to end my life. That's what he told me this week. He says, I just, I just want to end my life. I'm tired. Uh, I can't believe what I've done. And I said, Bo, right now, I want you to stop beating yourself up. I want you to stop condemning yourself. I want you to know God has forgiven you and he loves you. And I said this, and I believe it was a word from the Lord. I believe it was a prophetic word. I said, Bo, these next 12 or 20 years are not going to be wasted years. I said, Bo, you may not have planned, and I don't believe it was God's will for you to be originally arrested, absolutely. But do you know God can take what the devil meant for evil? God can take, even out of our bad choices, God can take it and turn it around for his good. And I remember I looked at Bo, and, and he was literally just weeping through the glass. I said, Bo, God is going to make you a father among these inmates. You need to see yourself as a person here on a mission. You have a mission, Bo. You're not here just wasting time 
and you, the devil wants you to sit here today and just live with regret of all the bad decisions you've done in the past. God wants you to start thinking about the present and start looking to the future and what he's going to do. God's going to make you a, an evangelist and a pastor and a father in this prison. When I left him, he was bawling. He said, Pastor Rachel, thank you. I, just, I never, never thought like that. I never thought that God could use me behind the bars. I said, Bo, God is going to use you in more powerful ways than you ever realized. And I said this. You remember Romans 6, verse 1, where sin abounds, God's grace does much more abound. God's going to take where you've come. Even though you've made mistakes, you've made some bad choices, and you might feel like uh, some, some of the years uh, of your children's life may be gone. But I want you to know that God's word always brings a man of God or a woman of God out on top. Because Joel says, the book of Joel says, that God can even restore the years of the cankerworm of Eden. God will restore what the enemy has taken and stolen. I believe you're going to have a ministry of jubilee in this jail to these guys that maybe they may have never come in contact with a ministry or a preacher, maybe have never even darkened the door of a church, but, Bo, God's going to use you. And uh, all of a sudden, this guy is starts, hey, Pastor Ray, can you send me some material that I can start reading? So some books that I, so I'm sending them some books. I'm going to Mardell's and going to send them some books on renewing the mind and building a vision, and all of a sudden, he's now turning into a Bible student. He's studying the Bible. He's beginning to believe there's a vision. Wow, God, God can use me now. Do you believe that, that that's what heavenly place is all about? I said, Bo, you're not going to waste your years. You're not going to just sit here and just sulking in the past and feeling sorry for yourself. God's got a plan, and I believe when you come out of here, you're going to be making some life time friendships there's going to be some soulmates that you're god's going to bring you into contact with that might even serve with you in ministry when you come out of here someday god has amazing things do you believe god can turn some amazing things around that's what being in heavenly places is all about being in heavenly places is not waiting for heaven being in heavenly places is bringing heaven down here and turning your hell into something powerful, meaningful, and purposeful with a vision and a place where people are seeing the glory of Jesus in spite of the hell, in spite of the issues around you. You are not a victim. And I told Bo this. I said, Bo, and I looked at him. In fact, let me tell you something. There was glass between us. I laid my hands, and I started prophesying through that telephone. By the way, it's okay to do that. And I said, God has a plan for you that is so much bigger, so much greater than you. And God does not want you to waste your years. These are not wasted years. These are, this is not a wasted time. He has called you, but he wants your mind. I want you to jump over with me. Last verse and I'm done. And this is found in Romans chapter 12. Last scripture and then I'm finished this morning. Romans chapter 12. Verse 1, you all know this. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Everyone say his mercy. See, Paul knew that if he didn't say that, the presenting of our bodies becomes a sacrifice that is not worth making. 
When all of a sudden you begin to think about, you know, serving God, man, it's such a sacrifice. Oh, man, I got to go to church today. Got to read my Bible. Got to give. Got to tithe. Oh, wow. Pastor Ray's up there telling us we got to lift our hands and worship. Oh, man, I don't want to do that. I got to pray. I got to witness. I got to share. I got to be a good husband. Got to be a forgiving wife. Wow. I don't like that. But he says this, I beseech you by the mercy. You see, it's when your focus is on his mercy that it makes the living sacrifice capable. You're able to become a living, not a dead, not a worn out sacrifice, not a sacrifice that's doing it just because you have to. You become a living, alive, prosperous glorified, a sacrifice that is full of life, full of passion, full of vision, because his mercy, his mercy, has actually brought salvation to my body and my spirit and my soul. I beseech you by the mercy of God that you present, present, everyone say present. Because what he's saying here, in order for you to really grasp and get a hold of the riches of his grace and glory. You must present. It means to offer as a free will offering. I am pre offering my strength. I'm offering you my life. I'm offering you my reason. I'm offering you my right to control. I'm offering you all of the rationale and all the right to deny. I have the right to just say no. I have the right. No, you're offering your bodies a living sacrifice. Because here's the point. You wouldn't even be alive if it wasn't for his mercy. You, would, you, you and I don't even have breath unless it's his mercy. And that's why he deserves our mercy. Paul is saying here that if you're going to really grant, grant, get this, he says, you've got to have a focus on the mercy of God. Your mind has to be saturated with the mercy of God in order for you to begin to live the Christian life. Because if you don't have a healthy focus on the mercy of the Father, you are going to run on empty. And you're going to find it really rigorous and difficult. You're going to say, man, how long is Pastor Ray going to be preaching? Oh, I can't wait to get out of here to get to my next basketball game. You will have no... But, but when you're in love with the Father, guess what? You're not worried about the things out here. Because you realize that I'm here because of His mercy. I'm here because of His grace. And it's because of His grace and His kindness and His goodness that draws me to a place where my mind is repenting. My mind is changing. I'm no longer in love and in touch. I no longer have to be in sync with the world. I'm in sync with heaven. I'm connected to heaven. I'm connected to my Father's will. I seek to live to please my Father. It's not about me anymore. It's not about my comfort. It's not about because what He's done for me. He says that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy. Everyone say holy acceptable to God, which is your the reasonable. It's the right thing to do. 
It's not because it's logical. It's because when you get connected and in sync with the will of God for your life, that's how you come into abundant life. Guess what? When your passion has been tapped because of your vision. See, you have no passion for anything you have no vision for. Because here's the point. You will never make a sacrifice for anything you have no value in. How many of you know you never sacrifice anything for unless you value it? And guess what? You will never protect what you do not value. If you don't value Him, if you don't value what He's given you, then there's no sacrifice you'll give for it. Paul says the only way that God can inhabit, that God can possess, for His glory to be seen is when our bodies are completely sacrificed unto Him. One thing Carol and I made a decision years ago as a couple. We made a decision that in order for us to experience the fullness of God's presence, power, and the benefit of who He is, it meant that we had to be sold out. How many of you know God's not interested in a religious group of people? Not interested in people who have this kind of a lukewarm, half-hearted, this kind of a religious assent. He wants people whose heart is committed to Him, who loves Him. But if, if you don't love Him, that's, a, that's an honest statement. I never would condemn anybody for saying, and I've had a lot of people say this, you know, Pastor, I just don't love God. And you know what I say to him? I tell him, thank you for being honest. And that's, even God even says that. Revelations 3, when it, <clears throat> John was dealing with the church of the Laodiceans, <clears throat> the, 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 the word of warning to the church at Laodicea was, because you are lukewarm, you're not hot, you're not cold, but you're lukewarm. He says, I will vomit you out of my mouth. He's talking to the church there. Do you know, out of the, six out of the seven churches received warnings and rebuke, only one received commendation out of the seven churches in Revelations 3 and 4. Only one received commendation. But here's the point, and I want you to hear me. Anytime God warns you, it's because he loves you. We should never take, and I know with this atmosphere of grace today that's being preached and taught and the love of God, and by the way, I'm all for grace and love, but let's never become so lopsided that we think that anytime a message comes with warning or rebuke, that that's not love because that would be wrong. The Bible says, for whom the Lord loves, he what? Chastens. He loves you. And if all you can hear is messages that just kind of commend you and just, just bless you, but doesn't bring adjustment, warning, and instruction, then you're going to become out of balance. And you'll become imbalanced. And then you become complacent like Bo. you become complacent and indifferent. Then you'll find yourself lacking conviction, and you'll become spiritual drifters, and then you'll find yourself just kind of getting lost out there, doing your thing, and Satan comes, and not even realizing that Satan was targeting your steps every way until he traps you. And people don't think that the devil works like that. He does. He is so patient, and he will wait and he will wait and wait until he traps you. But he has to get you by yourself. He has to get you away from the house of God. He has to get you in a place where you're thinking independently that you don't need God, that you're a smart American, you're so smart, 
and you're so independent that you don't need anybody. That's a dangerous place. Dangerous place. And there are people today that have this kind of an American gospel. I don't need the church. I don't need God. I don't even need to go to the house of God. I just need Jesus in the Colorado Mac Rocky Mountains. That's all I need. No. You need more than the Colorado Rocky Mountains in your own personal relationship with Jesus. The Bible says we're not to, the, to neglect the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some do. I didn't say that. The Holy Spirit said that. Why? Because you cannot make it by yourself. We need each other. We need family. Amen? God called us to be people seated with him in heavenly places because he's going to glorify himself through your life. It doesn't matter how much money's in your bank. It doesn't matter your job status. It doesn't matter where you live or where you don't live. God can take any man and any woman who's willing to keep their focus on his mercy, those who are willing to say yes to him, those that are willing to say, Lord, I know that you called me, you created me in your image, and I know that you have a plan in my life, and that is to glorify your son in me. It doesn't matter where I've come from. It doesn't matter what I've done. Lord, you will be glorified in my life, and I will touch and I will reach the world that you called me to reach, and my life will make a difference, and you will be glorified, and people will be saved, and the people will begin to come to understand the goodness of God through the testimony that you built in me because of the word of my testimony and the blood of the Lamb over my life. Amen? You are an amazing people. God has his hand on you. God has his hand on this church for an amazing future. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, you are amazing. You're amazing. And God has something so much larger, so much brighter. He seated you in heavenly places this morning. Being in heavenly places doesn't mean you're no earthly good. In fact, you're far more earthly good when you're in heavenly places because your mind's a blessed mind. You've got a mind that's a large mind. Your heart's been enlarged by the, the Father's heart. You're no longer thinking like a slave. You're not thinking like you're in poverty. You're not thinking like you're a victim. You're thinking like sons and daughters. You're thinking like kings and priests. You understand your power, your position, your confidence, your walk. When you see problems, you see them as opportunities. You're not looking down. You're not becoming, uh, not wallowing in self-pity. You're an individual who's been anointed. You have been empowered by the Word of God, by the Holy Spirit, to make a difference and to bring change everywhere you go. And even when you're tearing out some rotten lumber in your house, God can still shine. Amen. In fact, I've even noticed a change in my cat's attitude. I mean, I think so. I, I, I really thought our cat had a few demons, but now I believe he's got saved and filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen. I, I'm, I'm joking here, but I want to tell you something. It's amazing how God can just change the atmosphere in your home. People will begin to notice, oh, there's something, there's something to spark in you. There's light. Even though things can be bleak, God can touch you. Amen? Bow your heads this morning. <clears throat> and maybe you say, you know, Pastor Ray, I know God has a high calling in my life. But sometimes I've allowed thoughts 
of grief, thoughts of just my past to haunt me. I've been haunted by things because of failure, been haunted by things of defeat, and I just need that kind of a life transformation. I need Jesus to open my eyes to his plan for my life. If that's you, could you raise your hand? I'm going to pray for you this morning. See your hand. Anyone else? See your hand. Maybe you've been saying, you know, Pastor, I've gone through some serious depression. See, depression comes through fear. Depression also comes when my mind has been thinking how small God is and how big my problem is. That's depression. I'm suppressed. I'm depressed. You're making God small, but you're making the problem big. Maybe that's you this morning, and you need just a quickening in your faith. Maybe that's you. You want to raise your hand? I want to pray with you. Anyone like that? They're going through depression, going through anxiety, okay? Amen? Amen? Thank you, Lord. Let's all stand to our feet, shall we? Let's stand to our feet. We're going to close. In fact, I want you to take your neighbor by the hand. Can you do that? Take your neighbor by the hand. <clears throat> I want you to take that hand and just squeeze it a little bit. Just squeeze that hand. The Bible says that when Job prayed for his friends, God turned his captivity. I want you to pray that the Lord will begin to anoint our lives and to open our eyes with the kind of vision that transforms our families and our homes, our marriage, that we will begin to let go of pity, let go of that victim's mindset, let go of being held hostage to things that we cannot change. God wants you to realize that all things are possible. All things, everyone say all things. All things are possible to them that believe. This is a year of believing God, the year of faith in God. It's a year of possessing promises. It's that year. Father, we just pray. I pray for my brother and my sister. I thank you for a wonderful wife, a wonderful husband. Lord, I thank you for my friend. As I hold their hand, Lord, I just pray that as our contact through even just embracing hands this morning, there would just be a flow of divine life and impartation, even through the laying on of hands. Father, I pray that wisdom, like a river, will flow into our brothers, our sisters. Father, I pray right now that you would just anoint us afresh. Lord, anoint our faith, anoint our eyes, anoint our, anoint our hearts. Lord, anoint our future. Lord, we give you a future. We, we lay hold of that future by the mercy of God. Lord, serving you is not a burden. Living for you is not a sacrifice. Because your mercy, you deserve all that we are, all that we, all that we have. We surrender, we yield it to you. Lord, I thank you for my family. I thank you for my brothers and sisters. Thank you for my friend here, Lord. I ask you, Lord, to just bring impartation of strength, anointing, visitation. Let your presence surround, go before them, behind them. 
Lord, let your light and life shine through them in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Turn to them, give them a hug. God bless.